Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the A podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Patrick Williams. And if you listened to our last episode with Tim Army, um, I'm sure you can understand we're a bit backlogged on the content because we had a lot to talk about with the coaching world. Then Tim, and I mean this in the nicest way, hijacked the show. Like, like the best hijacking you could ever have because he took it over and he was the star. So we'll never complain about that. But we have some some coaching things to get to, Pat. And I think, you know, especially the the, the AHL part of the narrative with the Pascal Vincent being hired as head coach, like there's a very interesting perspective and just that can be gleaned from his, his time in the American League. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you and I are obviously both familiar with him. Uh, yeah, our, I actually never know, thought about that. Yeah. From our time with the with both, well, my case, the Jets and the Moose, you're, I yeah, guess yeah. you weren't, I guess you wouldn't have been with around yet when he was. No, I think it was 11. Jets. Well, there you go. So. Yeah, I think it was a bit older than that. Anyways, <laughs> it's not to, to predate you. Continue. But, uh, uh, but yeah, you know, a guy that's, uh, you know, really, Really, if you look through his history, 30 years of, of coaching. Really, like crazy. He junior, he went to McGill, and then he, uh, he got into the coaching game really early, like early 20s. He's only 51 now, right? So, like, you know, worked his way right up to the, you know, the ladder, you know, like, like various levels of, you know, minor hockey, midget, and, and you know, right up to the Q and then the NHL, right? And then he went to the AHL. So he's he's seen it all at this point. And it, he's a really big poster child or not child poster person um, for the whole, you know, being an AHL or NHL assistant, right? Mm-hmm. Before you become an NHL head coach, you got, you had to have run your own bot, your own bench mm-hmm. usually too. And that is at the professional level. So you need to have that experience. And that's what Pascal Vincent did, right? He was assistant with the jets for a bit. Then he went down to the moose, which was, you know, maybe going down in terms of NHL, AHL, but that's a promotion. Yes. And in five, it for sure is. And in five years, like he won coach of the year once he was a highly touted commodity. Like I remember he interviewed from my count, he interviewed with like Calgary, Winnipeg, when they, for the high bonus, Arizona, mm-hmm. the Rangers took a look at him. According to Elliot Freeman, I believe also uh, there was talk before St. Uh, before, even before Ducharme, or maybe it was before St. Louis of Vincent going to Montreal. Like, there, mm-hmm. there was a lot of chatter around him. And I guess, you know, in seeing him now, the situation unfold with Babcock, and now it's it's Pascal's bench. You're right. We do have an interesting perspective on him. So I think it'd be interesting for us to provide people an idea of, one, maybe why he's so highly touted, and two, what Columbus is really getting. So let me, let me ask you the first question here, Pat. Why do you think, or how would you describe why you think Pascal has been such a highly sought-after coach in the NHL? Well, he has, and yet the thing that surprised me was like he was in Columbus before, like you know, mm-hmm. and they passed him over for Babcock, which yeah. at the time I was kind of dumbfounded by it because like, he was to right me, there. It just, he's right there. You know, you know exactly what you're getting. Like you've had up close access to him for a couple years. Uh, you see how he operates, which is usually you know that's the general uh, path, right? Like. You bring somebody in, you kind of like are able to get a feel for them, like like up close, you know, through the good times, the bad times, and then they make that step because you know he arrived in Columbus with having checked those two boxes you really mentioned: AHL head coach and AHL assistant. He had done that, right? So he he certainly could have at that point been more than qualified for the Columbus head coaching job. He came in um, anyway. He worked, you know, on Brad Larson's staff. 
Larson is let go. You figure, okay, Vincent's the obvious choice. So they kind of go way off into left field and um, and Brandon Babcock, which didn't make sense for me for, for a team that is young and rebuilding and, and and trying to find their way. Now, like I guess if you're looking for a name, quote unquote, um, Babcock is certainly going to sell more tickets probably. But you know, for me, like like a Vincent is the perfect guy to come in now. Like. I this agree. may work. This this may end up may working out for Columbus, even though I think that you know obviously you know they, they didn't make the right choice in the first place um, because you have what's been a very contentious, very stressful, volatile pick, pick, pick your pick your adjective situation in Columbus the past several weeks. Now you get Vincent, and you can vouch for this as well. Like Vincent is like one of the calmest personalities i've ever met inside or outside of hockey like he's he's one of those guys you, you could put him on like you know those like those like uh you know relaxation tapes you know where like yeah, it's just yeah. like he's so hello there yeah he's so Pascal vincent yeah he's just so calm and level like you're not going to see him yelling and screaming you're not going to see him like get down on his team he's just even keeled and i think that's exactly what they need right now you don't want somebody coming in there and, and throwing more fuel on the fire, right? Like you need somebody that's going to come in there and, and calm things down. And I think you made a good point about, you know, how like his approach, I think is perfect for Columbus because there's a couple of things. They're a young team mm-hmm. at this sort of stage where they're molding their identity and yeah. they have a core that, you know, or you hope is going to be there for a long time. Yeah. You've got young guys. And what Pascal is so lauded for from, from me talking to people that have played under him in, in Manitoba, um, the jets, Columbus, people that have worked with him is that he's extremely detailed yes. as a lot of coaches are, but his delivery is very player friendly. Yes. And in, in, in today's game, that's in my opinion, it's so important. And I think we've seen that we don't need to get into it, but just the whole Babcock fiasco, what it really highlights is not only the appropriateness of interactions, but the nature of them and the way that you're connecting the players is so paramount to, to team succeeding. And Pascal does that very well. And the funny the thing about it is, when I say player friendly, like he's not, he's a player's coach, but not like always Mr. Good Guy. He no. gives it to you straight, but that's what these guys want. And I think that, you know, whether it was Cole Perfetti or whether it was Jack Brozovich, who, or Kyle Connor, actually, I think he's the best example, right? Where Pascal was like, listen, and, you know, Pat, like at the AHL, you write about this a lot. These instances where coaches are like, we're going to rebuild. I'm with mm-hmm. you in the fight. We're going to build your game to the next level. Pascal's got many instances of that. And, you know, he iced some some good team like he he made do with some teams that maybe weren't the best on paper too and you yeah. can't lose sight of that either. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, he's always been able to really maximize what he's been given, you know, by 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 management. And the thing for me with Pascal is um, he's it should have always been this way, you know. Like like I know everyone says, well, you know, this is how players are now, but you know what? I can tell you, like having kind of. Like I'm in that weird stage where I kind of remember the old school way, you know, like the, the real, real hard nose, like the Mike Keenan types. Sure. But I'm still like enough in this, this quote unquote new world to, to, to see the benefit of that. And yeah, I guess my question is why wasn't it like this a lot earlier, right? Like it's a good point because if you really sit there and think about it, like who, you know, whether you're working, you know, uh, as a hockey player, you're working in an office or, or, or a, factory wherever you wherever you are who wants to work for somebody that uh, you know doesn't treat you with kind of a basic standard of yeah respect and 
and, uh, you know, just mutual kindness. Or better yet, like in a pressure cooked industry like professional sports, there's pressure to begin yeah. with. Yeah. Why do you want to have, or not why do you, it's like, what benefit is it to have a coach that has people, the, the lower tier guys per se, or the younger guys, yeah. maybe not the couple stars, feeling like they're walking on eggshells. Yeah, right. And, like, and a, it, it just, it's, you're right. It, it does bring out a, a question of the general thing. Like, why was this ever the way? But I want to tie it back to Pascal with one more thing. Yeah. I'm curious what you think. Like, in terms of looking at what he did in Manitoba, mm-hmm. would you would you say the greatest accomplishment was, you know, I think you, know, you could say it either two ways, or you could say both. Was it either just the, the amount of prospects that the Jets slash Moose turned to players or was it the was it the you know constant balance of the competitiveness and development? Which one do you think was the biggest that he helped in Blue Jays? That's a good question. Uh, you know, I mean, they really do go hand in hand. I can tell you this, uh, and I think this ties in with development. And eventually, I mean, that's the goal: is get these players up to, to the NHL roster. But um, I don't think you can do that without that competitive mood and atmosphere on the team right like where everybody's pushing each other but but it's it's done in a collaborative fashion it's not well you know why did so and so get a call up and i didn't like like it's not that you know kind of competition it's more like all right we're all kind of we're all pulling in the same direction i think the thing with pascal is you take a look at like what other coaches you know i would talk to, to other coaches about the most and, you know kind of get their thoughts on them and you know one of the most consistent themes was while that team's always prepared, number one, that team works every night, that team is competitive, and that team just plays with a lot of detail and structure in their game. And I think teams take on the reflection of their coach, good or bad, right? 100%. You have, a, you have a team, you have a coach yelling and screaming rant and raving and, uh, you know, undisciplined himself. More often than not, in my experience, the team takes on that 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 face and vice versa. Like, you're not going to see that from Pascal. There's another part of it, too, to what you're saying is, like – you look at the, the coaching landscape and as we're seeing now at the junior level, the NHL, people aren't getting too creative with their coaching searches and it's the no. same people being recycled, right? Yeah. What makes Pascal and the people and the coaches like him so respected too is their ears are open. Yeah, They're not, they're like Pascal Vincent is one of the most dedicated learners I've ever encountered in terms of he's always adapting, you know, in terms of whether it's, schematics it's play certain trends in the game he's i'll put it this way he's not the last one on the bus sure. right he's not the last yeah. one joining and being forced to he's ahead of the curve and seeing things at a leveled and not erratic but a leveled measured innovative perspective well he's never been able to kind of like let his foot off off the gas right like you know he's always he hasn't been able to get to the nhl make a name for himself and then trying to coast on that reputation for for sure. The rest of the way, like, you know, you know, he's been in the HL where right? we're kind of, uh, you know, your, your contract might be two or three years, you know, you're, you're trying to prove yourself. He's been an NHL assistant, which can be very tenuous, especially, I mean, you know, you remember like the, the early days of the Jets 2.0 like that, that was a lot, that was a, that was a difficult, that was a difficult room to be in. in some yeah. Places. And, you know, just having, you know, been through those, those highs and those lows, you know, he's, he's been able to work with a lot of different coaches, um, you know, really pick the brains of different coaches, um, see the game from a lot of different perspectives um, in terms of, you know, the NHL, the AHL side, junior, like he knows where, and I think he can relate well to players that have had to fight 
too, which, you know, there's going to be a lot of those types of guys in Columbus, right? Like nothing's been handed to him. Uh, you know, he didn't just get to coast on a reputation or a name. Like he's, mm-hmm. you know, he's in right. Columbus now because he, he basically kicked the door down and said, you know, there's no other option than me. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm here. I've earned this job. And, you know, like it was so obvious for them to pick him. Moving on to a player that is, I mean, we don't have an official prospect of the week, but we may as well qualify him as that. A prospect that is having a very impressive showing at training camp. And they may not get a role on the 23-man roster, but they're definitely putting ahead on the pecking order in terms of the first call-up option. And that's Will Cully. He's making noise at New York Rangers camp. 21-year-old left wing, um, 2020 second-round pick. He's coming off a season where he had 25 goals and 45 points in 69 AHL games. That was his first full pro year. Uh, he yeah. played a bit during the COVID year. One of the couple uh, players that were age were OHL eligible, but because there was no OHL, were allowed to play in the AHL for the year. Here's the scoop on Kali. All that's good and Danny about last year and whatnot, but he's having a strong camp. Pierre Laviolette has put him against, you know, alongside top six options. He's been on line rushes with high quality players. It's hard to see him, you know, overstepping or, or leapfrogging a veteran, but I definitely think this was a huge, or so far has been a huge statement as to where he is on the depth chart. Yeah. I like what he offers. Like, you know, I think he's the kind of player that um, you'll be able to kind of plug him into the lineup uh, if that's, you know, obviously that size he has is like six four two two hundred plus um i thought with him like you know he i like how he attacked the game in hartford last season right like like especially especially before that team kind of went through that late season makeover like that was a team on, on a lot of nights where there wasn't necessarily a lot happening and right. he was one of the players that really would kind of like you know jump out at you right away like okay there's a guy that's you know not just kind of yeah, played it safe like he's trying to make something happen and so so i really like that uh you know like he's never going to be maybe the best skater anything like that but i think as a guy that can you know certainly um be a, be a functional uh big body uh type player type presence uh i think he could certainly uh offer a lot to the rangers yeah i mean laviolette was asked if he saw similarities between tom wilson and uh cully and he said he did and how they have similar traits in respect to you know mm-hmm. cully's he's a hard-nosed player he had four yeah. games last year and, and he you know i'm not the biggest proponent of fighting but the fact is he did drop the mitts a couple times so he'll do, mm-hmm. you know as i say he'll do anything um t- to make an impression in whatever way yeah. but he i think what this is showing is you know their belief in his ability to play alongside top end talent and that's a really key distinction right you mm-hmm. can you can you know, exist or survive in the NHL, but can you be someone that when there's an injury, can you step in and play alongside good players? It's not as easy as you would think. Um, but the question I want to ask you, Pat, is so Kelly, he had four games in the NHL at the end of last season, right? And they were, were they eventful? No, but they, he got his feet wet. In your experience covering this league, like how big is that for guys when they have that little bit of a tail end call up in the NHL, a game or two, three, four, whatever it may be, and then carrying that into the next season, like how much of a benefit that really is. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't want to like try to put one size fits all, but yeah. in a few different ways, I think for one, it's that booster confidence. Number one, number two, uh, I think it really gives them a sense of, okay, this is what the NHL is going to be like. All right. I've seen the NHL. I feel like I have a pretty good 
grasp of that, but the NHL is kind of a whole nother can of worms. Mm-hmm. And at least now you can take some of that into the summer because it can be easy, I think, for players that, that really have a great AHL season to kind of think, oh, okay, I have this figured out. Next stop is the NHL. I'm gonna, it's going to be just as easy for me doing that, right? And like, So I think this – not that he needed a wake-up call, but but just for any player, just you don't know it until you've been through it. And mm-hmm. um, I think it, for them it gives, all right, this is this is the standard I have to try to reach, you know, especially right. a late season type thing with a team like the Rangers that, you know, was in the fight, you know, right? You know, I mean, they made the playoffs. So, um, you know, you're certainly worked – those games weren't just kind of like throwaway games. They were, you know, you, they were important, meaningful games. So I, I really like that, that strategy that teams utilize with a young player like that. You can tell when a team really has a player in mind for, for a future role, because I think they do give him that opportunity rather than maybe playing it the safe way. And okay, we'll bring up the 29 year old veteran who, you know, we know we can kind of insert and it won't be, you know, it won't be. He's safer or whatever. He's a safe choice. Guy, a guy who's obviously a younger guy, a little bit more of a "quote unquote" unsafe choice, but I think you know it reflects well where they view him in, in the pecking order. At a macro view of this, definitely probably encouraging for Chris Drury, considering you know they haven't really developed a lot out of Hartford, no, and that's all. been a long-standing issue. And then you factor in the fact that Chris Drury and you know the people before him have overpaid for depth. They've yes. overpaid for fourth-line players. They've They've done what a lot of teams no longer do and, and used to do all the time, right? Which is pay, you know, a surplus amount of money just to get that depth guy that usually won't yeah. live up to that dollar figure. The Rangers are guilty of that. So I think a situation where Cully is proven to be even an option in NHL level is great, I think, because yeah. it also speaks to or kind of proves some progress last year with them. And, and that's important for a team like the Rangers just contending. You need to have ELC players around the edges yeah. of your lineup to be cat compliant in, in a flat cap climate, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Especially like you said, like the cap, you know, is kind of in a state of flux right now and um, hasn't been, you know, going up like, like GM would love it to go up. And yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's really like kind of when you think about what the HL does, that's one of the most valuable services i guess you could call it that the hl provides is, is young affordable talent that you can you can put in the lineup and just give yourself a little bit of relief you know on that cap because i mean there's so many teams you know especially a team like the rangers you know it's always you know they're going to be a, a high budget type team yeah. um you need some of that relief because otherwise yeah you're just Probably. you're constantly you, you see that teams get into trouble and then they have to start shedding some of the, the higher price veterans and um, then it starts the whole thing starts to unravel. Yeah. yeah, I think it definitely, as I said this before, but it for sure kind of speaks to where he is in the packing order. Like I think Brennan Othman and, you know, other young first round picks are going to be in Hartford for the year. And, you know, Gabe Perot is not going to make the team. Like that's kind of, there's that really raw crop. And then there's kind of the guys on the cusp. And I think Kelly falls into that camp. Um, I, I, I think he's capable of scoring 10, 15 goals in the NHL level. We'll see. Um, but you know, you'd, I think the big question will be, can he be a secondary scorer in addition to being a checking forward and provide that offense? Um, so speaking of end of season stints in the NHL, Simon Edmondson had one last year and we talked about it a couple of times. I saw him for parts of it in Toronto. I interviewed him. The coach was around the team a bit when they were in Toronto. And my takeaway was twofold. It was for starters, 
okay, they really think he's going to make the team next year. And secondly, mm-hmm. I like he probably should make the team. Like he's NHL ready. Like there's there's one thing to hype him up, but when you see him in the games, like he looked like he belonged. But if you look at Detroit's depth chart, they just signed this offseason. They added Ghost Sphere, Hall, they acquired Jeff Petrie. There's not really room for him. So I guess it looks like he could remain in Grand Rapids. And my question is, do you think this was Detroit's plan all along? Because they always like to slow cook their prospects. They do. That's the uh, Steve Eiserman uh, formula that worked really well in uh, Tampa um, mm-hmm. for all those years and um, has largely been the, the, the case, uh, same case in Detroit, right? So I think especially with a young defenseman, I agree. I don't see really a, a natural spot for him in, in that you know that lineup right now. Like in the, sorry, It doesn't make seven. any sense. Like, like, yeah. And I don't think they're going to – First of all, three of the players I just listed were just acquired. They're not going to go mm-hmm. trade them. This is an NHL yeah. 24 GM mode. Um, <laughs> so it, I guess the reality is it's pretty much set in stone. He's going to be sent down. He's not yeah. going to camp as a 7th They're not moving Sherratt. Like, it, it, it's – that is what it is. So I yeah. Guess, I mean, I guess if you got into injury issues, that's – that's that Totally. Yeah. But I guess my point is now that we know this is all about, a, like, finality, maybe this is the right thing. Maybe like what's wrong? He's still only 20 years old. Yeah. Like what is wrong with being the best player in the HL for another year? Being so good that you force either them to make a move or you take a hold of a job when there's an injury. Like sometimes, and myself included, I'm guilty of thinking, yeah, they're ready. Goodbye. Done. Whereas well, it's not always yeah. so black and white, really. Well, none of these assignments in the HL is not does not have to be a permanent assignment either. I think people sometimes forget that, right? Like sure. just because you don't make the team out of camp, right? Like something could happen, right? Like there could be an injury there, you know, you could be up the next day, right? Like we've seen that you know, a lot of times or, you know, there, you go down there, you play your first month and you're just so clearly dominant that like you said, you force their hand and they're like, okay, well, we got to, we got to find a way to get this guy up here. So like, it's not like you're being sent, let's say down, you know, to a OHL or WHL team where, you know, you can only bring a player back if there's an injury or something like that's, that's the beauty of having your affiliate in the AHL where you can bring them back and forth as much as you need. And if, Hey, if he's, if he's more than ready, then yeah, by all means, bring him up. But if he's not, uh, I don't see any harm in in sending him back, letting him play top, top tier minutes in Grand Rapids He's going to play for, for Dan Watson, a real real highly regarded coach coming out Toledo to the ECHL. Uh, so I think that will be good for him. He'll get a, you know, he had been Simon last year. Now you get another perspective. Uh, so I think um, I don't see a downside to it. And I think people get so caught up in the like, oh, he didn't make the team out of camp. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't really mean much at all, right? It just means for one, they're, like in this case, there's really not a space for him. And number two, um, that uh, you want him to just get more playing time. And if, hey, if he if he's somehow shows he's ready, then then you, you change and you adjust uh, as necessary. And if not, then you, you stick with your plan. And I think, you know, a good GM like Eisenman sort of is able to maintain that flexibility and not kind of get caught up into the, like, well, he should be here at this point or he should be there totally. at that point. Well, and also, too, you know, Detroit, the way they're doing this is it's a win-win. Right. If you mm-hmm. are, if, if Edmonton were to show that he is significantly and noticeably better than one of those six people, it's a good problem for Steve Eisenman to have, and they would make the necessary moves. Right. Sure. If, if they determine he can help them win more than the other, 
they'll make a move because Detroit wants to compete this year. And then yeah. the other reason it's a win too is because you have them down there dominating the AHL. Still, again, as I said it, 20, 21 years old, whatever it is, entry-level contract, you're kind of like you're baking the cake a bit at a slow, yeah. like you're, you're getting it more well-rounded. It won't be dough in the middle, whereas you put him in the NHL, you're throwing him in the fire. You were just throwing him in there. So the, you really can't go wrong with it. I, I think I'm almost maybe not surprised, but just kind of a realization because I really, at the end of last season, I thought you won't see him in the AHL again. But sometimes you have to weigh those other factors. Well, and I think at some point this season, right, like, you know, injuries are inevitable. I mean, you know, the, the way the schedule is, right, like you're, you're packing 82 games in the six months, you're, you're, you're going to have guys break down, right? So, like, I, I think what the best thing he can do is he puts himself in, in, in that spot where he's the number one call. Like, he's the guy that's, uh, you know, when, when somebody goes down in Detroit, you, you put call in the Grand Rapids, and like, all right, yeah, it's Edmondson, bring him up. And there's kind of no just no, no real discussion needed that, you know, he's far and away the top candidate. Absolutely. Some interesting news Wednesday um, about a player that we anticipated making the big club and making an impression with it. That's Jacob Peltier, um, young forward. He's having soldier, shoulder surgery. He's going to be out for an indefinite period. Huge blow uh, to the 21-year-old forward. Also sucks for, for Calgary, right, because they had bad internal competition. Um, yeah. what, what were your initial thoughts on, on seeing the news and just kind of how that affects the, the race for the bottom six there among the young forwards? Yeah, I mean, it's just a shame, right? Like, there's a guy that's, you know, um, you know he had that great rookie year in, in, coming into the AHL, uh, solid follow-up year last year, and there's so much, uh, you know, kind of controversy over him not getting, you know, maybe more of a shot with the Flames. And so, you know, now you have – Ryan Husker come in as sort of viewed as his fresh start. And, you know, Pelsier was obviously, you know, looking like he was in, in, you know, in a really good position uh, to make something of it. And then you have this, especially a shoulder, right? Like shoulders for me always are, are scary, right? Like just, you, I don't know. I've, I've seen players just have issues with them. Um, so, I mean, when that news came across, I was like, yeah, that's – I mean, hopefully he just, you know, he'll he'll just have to work his way through it and you come back and, you know, certainly players have gone through other types of setbacks. But, uh, yeah, it was a real shame for a guy that's certainly done everything you could ask him to do at this point uh, to put himself into position uh, you know, to really, you know, not, you know, not nail down an NHL full-time job. Yeah, and it just sucks too because of the fact that Calgary did have the luxury of when they're in this transition phase, having young prospects actually battle for a spot, yeah. right? That doesn't oftentimes happen. So that stings, I'm sure, in a lot of ways, especially, you know, Pelletier, he had a good run with the Flames, but I think people maybe wonder could have been even better under a different coach. So uh, unfortunate setback for him, for sure. Um, before we end today's show, I want to... Have you tell our viewers that thing about the Syracuse Crunch they're doing, that really neat, innovative thing they're doing behind the scenes, and it has to do with mental wellness, and I, I think it's cool, and I think we should highlight this. Yeah, so uh, my first kind of piece of the, I guess, the preseason, I, the NHL.com is uh, the Crunch have always, like, a little background on the Crunches, they've always been kind of a team that does things a little bit differently. Uh, you know, Even going back to when they started, uh, they were one of the first teams that really kind of... Uh, went their own way, I guess you'd say, in terms of marketing and, you know, creative, you know, they did the first outdoor game, the HL, the first, uh, 
dome game in the AHL. Um, they've just always uh, had that knack for, for, for standing up. And so um, Howard Dolgan, the owner there, um, you know, and, uh, you know, in his own personal life, uh, he started working with uh, this lady, Olika Erickson, um, who actually kind of uh, in, in the in the weird world of hockey uh, and how small it can be. Her, her uncle's Willie Lidstrom, who won a pair of uh, Stanley Cups with the Edmonton Oilers, played for the WHA Jets. Uh, so it really is a small world. And uh, so she's a uh, somebody who works uh, in the yoga world, the meditation world, the mindfulness world. And um, he started working with her, you know, kind of just for his own, you know, like, uh, betterment and uh, found that it really helped him. Uh, he, he broached the idea to the crunch front office. Uh, they liked it. And uh, so she's now working with staff and, you know, like it's an interesting thing, right? Like the players are given so many resources, right. And, yeah. you know, but you know, front office staff, kind of the people that keep the whole thing going, you know, behind the scenes, right? like they're the ones that sell the tickets, the sponsorships, everything, right. Like, long hours uh very demanding very competitive uh type jobs and you know so her job essentially will be to help those people work through some of the stress uh, maybe the lack of uh mental focus that you know just comes with you know the risk of burnout and that and that that sort of thing so it's it's really interesting she's the first person to ever have that kind of uh role with an ahl team and uh, I won't be surprised if, uh, you know, more teams uh, start to follow up, uh, you know, in the crunch's footsteps like they've done with a lot of things through the years. Absolutely. All right. Good stuff, Pat. That's all for today's show. We'll see you next week where we'll be right in the thick of, of peak training camp season. Waivers will be a, a factor. Entry-level contract prospects will be getting sent down, starting to get sent down. Final preseason games will be happening. We'll have all the action from a prospect age health perspective next week but until then we're gonna cap it there thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next week